A thought from the Alice Bailey books. Uh, one of the things she says, Alice Bailey, in her writings, one of the things that I seek to bring out in this story is the fact of this inner direction of world affairs and to familiarize more people with the paralleling fact of the existence of those who are responsible behind the scenes for the spiritual guidance of humanity and for the task of leading mankind out of darkness into light and from the unreal to the real and from death to immortality. And that really says a lot about the writings of her books. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gauntz. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And I'm Gauntz. This is episode 13. 13. Cult number 13. But uh, we wanted to talk a little bit. Should we have skipped number 13 and gone straight to 14? Maybe. Like a, like a really superstitious hotel. Yes. <laughs> but even though, yeah, I like the hotel room, even if we called it episode 14, it would still really actually be episode 13, so. I know. Logic is really terrible like that, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we wanted to do an episode real quick on Alice Bailey's New World Order, and most people that are listening to this show probably have heard of the name Alice Bailey. She um, is an author. Uh, she channeled an entity named Dejwa Cool and wrote a bunch of stuff. The most famous of her works is called The Externalization of the Hierarchy, where she pretty much lays out how a new world order needs to be formed. So those books are really long, and she goes on and on forever and you can get your hands on a copy online. You can get a PDF file. You just type in externalization of the hierarchy PDF and you'll find a copy. I'm, we might include it just in the show notes that you can just link directly off of just in case you're curious about her writing. And she also has a book called the reappearance of the Christ where she lays out what needs to happen in order for the Christ or the world teacher to reappear. And She's not talking about Jesus Christ, the Christ. She's actually talking about the Christ as this person who's going to help usher in the new age. Right. And ironically enough, um, the much of the description seems to fit what the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. So I don't right. know if she knew that or not, but... Yeah, no, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But yeah, it's really interesting how she talks about the coming of the Christ. And she talks about it in terms, even some of the similar terms that uh, you know a Christian would talk about, the, the second coming of Jesus. But when you're reading it, it's almost like she hasn't heard of the Antichrist before. And uh, that seems to be exactly what she's explaining when she talks about it. And which I actually find to be the case a lot when it comes to, uh, you know, New Agers or, or you know, some of these other uh, uh, belief systems. Yeah, spirituality. Right. They start talking about how, you know, the saviors are going to come and it's just an exact description of the biblical Antichrist. Right. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, Alice Bailey, she's, she's, I guess she's written a lot of books or I guess, uh, channeled, writings. channeled. Yeah. She's had 
19 books dictated to her by this entity called De Joie Cool, or the Tibetan, as uh, I guess is his nickname or something. Um, and then, you know, it, it's funny, it's described as she's had 19 books dictated to her by this entity, and she's also written five of her own. <laughs> so she's been uh, at least involved in the writing of um quite a few books yeah. and uh very interesting uh, yeah. how these things have been put into play in regards to freemasonry and um you know alternative religions and occult systems and things like that and and especially the new world order yeah and so just a real brief uh overview of who she is uh she's born in the 1880s and she kind of had a troubled childhood. She was she tried to attempt suicide a couple times. And uh, at the age of 15, she was approached by a mysterious stranger in a turban. And this entity called himself Kutumi, which is the same entity that contacted Helena Blavatsky uh, in the earlier late 1800s to channel her writings. So, um, just so very, this is more this is more of a spiritual entity than a stranger on the street or? i believe so i believe okay. so but who knows you know i don't know maybe it was yeah. an actual person really uh yeah well, in any case she traveled the world did much kind of like how helena blavatsky did if you've known anything about her and she got to learn a lot of the mystic religions and all sorts of stuff and get a full view of uh what the ancient basically the ancient mysteries and right. that's what she is sort of reinstating uh, in, in especially her book, Externalization of the Hierarchy, she's basically trying to reestablish this old, lost, ancient, mystic religion that she believes, and her husband believes, her husband was a Freemason, uh, Foster Bailey, they believe is the original one world religion, the original religion of humanity. And, right. and this is the exact foundation for the new age movement today. Uh -huh. Um, but it's also the, her writings are the foundation of our world leaders politically and economically that we see today. Guys like Henry Kissinger, you read his writings right? and they just reflect everything she talks. I mean, it's almost word for word. So, uh, right. you know, instead of, you know, the hierarchy, he'll use words like globalization, you know, yeah, well, even in a lot of uh, legislation and, um, you know, even in a lot of the documents of the UN, you've, you find uh, just a huge amount of, um, you know, similarities and just the words and the phrases. The that language, yeah. Language, and that, yeah. that would make sense because uh, Alice Bailey and her husband started um, a company called uh, Lucifer Publishing to publish her works. Uh, and they, of course, changed the name to Lucius Trust to make it a little more ambiguous. But they have been Lucius Trust. <laughs> consultants of the UN for quite some time. So, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a bio right. here that talks about some, how they... Some pretty major um, consultants for the UN. Yeah, yeah. They, they take care of the meditation room in the UN headquarters and things like that. So anyway, there's there's a whole connection here with what the global goal is for a lot of these occult leaders that, that believe that they are doing humanity service. But again, from a, from a biblical Christian point of view, it's like, 
yes, it's a great thing that they're doing to try to instill good and, you know, help the world attain world peace, essentially. Right. Uh, however, there, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to talk about because on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's great that you're trying to formulate world peace in this manner. But on the other hand, biblically speaking, it's like, we know this is playing into the hands of the Antichrist. It's literally right. establishing the foundation, the throne, if you will, right. for the Antichrist. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's another one of those difficult things. So with everything that, you know, is biblically prophesied, you know, it's it's very intentionally done that these things that seem to be taking a step towards, you know, um, some sort of apocalyptic situation or the, the coming of the new world order, it's very purposeful that they, in an earthly sense, seem so benign or so, so... Um, charitable and things like that. I mean, you, you read these things and it seems to be coming out of such a good, uh, good, a good place, good intentions, you know, talks about equality for everyone and, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, humans all have the same rights and material resources and things like this. Um, but then there's just the, the small nuances that, that, you know, remind you that it's, it's still about, um, I mean, <laughs> that remind you that she's talking about the Antichrist, right. and that she's talking about the New World Order, and um, oftentimes a, a one world religion is stressed quite a bit, and things like that. So it's very difficult to talk um, about them in negative terms for that reason, right. because God knows we all want those you know, positive things to come about. But, you know, that's just all part of the great, uh, the great deception there that, yeah, you know, that was it's not, it's not going to come about, you know, as such an evil thing or else it would just never happen. It would never happen. Right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no way that like, here's the mark of the beast, the evil thing that was prophesied yeah. by Satan in the Bible, you know, put it yeah. in your head. No, it's not going to happen S like that. So. All right. So here's the Antichrist, everyone. Uh, <laughs> he's so the man that's going to destroy you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not going to come about like that, which would make it a lot easier for guys like you and me, Guns. Yeah, it would, huh? To try to, yeah. <laughs> Here comes the Antichrist. Well, no, duh, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, but it's more, it's much more clever. The Bible talks about Satan being a, a sly character. He's, you know, he's very slimy. Well, that's sneaky. Uh, yeah, right. And we'll talk about it a little bit later too. But in, in all of her writings, and, and which just follows the example of a lot of other esoteric writings and writings of the Freemasons and things like that, is that Lucifer is referred to many times and is referred to as, you know, a bringer of light, the illuminated one, such a great guy, you know, the prodigal son type character um, right. along, alongside the Christ, which which shows sort of a partnership between Lucifer and what they call the Christ, um, which is, again, totally biblical in the sense that, you know, the Antichrist being what they refer to as the Christ, um, you know, Lucifer and the Antichrist will be buddies. That right. is the case. Right. So. Yeah. And before we jump in, we, what we wanted to do today is basically take a, a, a section of the book from the externalization of the hierarchy called steps towards a new world order. And I mean, right. how blatant is that, right? If you're, if you're any, anyone that's looking into this, 
But before before we jump in, I just wanted to um, quote real quick something that was written by uh, Foster Bailey, Alice Bailey's husband, who was a Freemason, 32nd degree Freemason, I believe. And he wrote a book called The Spirit of Freemasonry. And just to kind of show the two hands at work here, there's kind of this government, political, economic, world stage, UN, that kind of persona. And then there's also the other side of the secret societies, Freemasonry being a very big proponent of, of that side of stuff. So Foster Bailey essentially says this uh, about Freemasonry. Uh, he says that Masonry is the descendant of or is founded upon a divinely imparted religion. And then he explains that uh, this religion was the first united world religion. Then came an era of separation of many religions and sect. Uh, sector, sectarianism. Yeah, there you go. Today we're working again towards a world universal religion. Uh, revitalized masonry made up of masons true, true to their obligations and realizing the mystic tie that binds them all together in one true brotherhood would also provide a platform so universal that it would meet the need of thinkers of all kinds and of every school of thought. It would thus not only meet a religious need by providing a universal religion, but would also satisfy the mental need felt by all broad-minded thinkers for this time. And it really goes to show this whole thing that I just quoted is predicated on the idea that Lucifer is actually the good guy trying to reestablish this united world religion, this lost mystic tie of man being brotherhood uh, or, you know, man being brothers. Right. Um, because in their view, again, we've, I think we've mentioned it before, but Lucifer is the, the good guy. Yahweh, God is the bad guy. Adam and Eve were trapped in the garden of Eden and Lucifer came, gave them knowledge of good and evil to become like gods and be free from the garden. That's right. their perspective on, on what's going on. So, right. And even not so much that Yah Yahweh was the bad guy, but that Yahweh is kind of dumb. Right. Is what they think. He thinks he, that he's sort of a, just a bumbling sort of entity, you know, deity who um, isn't quite as enlightened as some of the other deities. Right. Which I think is even more deceptive than saying that he's evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So, anyways, that's anyway. just a detail. But yeah. And I think it's interesting because you, both you and I know some. Um, some Freemasons personally in yes. our in our lives there outside of um, you know internet voices talking through podcasts. We don't we don't have lives outside. <laughs> yeah. But um, but, you know my one of my childhood friends is now a Freemason, very low level Freemason, and um, it's funny because I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's always posting things about uh, basically showing how he hasn't been um what's the word he's not like a satan worshiper yeah exactly he's he's he spends all this time being like oh all these people are stupid for thinking that freemasons you know worship satan and all i do is just do chores for all the other freemasons you know cuz he's sort of just like a little neophyte in the uh, right. in the organization right now but then you've come in contact or you know somebody who was a 32nd degree Freemason. Yes, I do. Um, I was in a, a small group thing here at church and, you know, we, 
I didn't know until we started talking about some of these things that he was a 32nd free or 32nd degree Freemason. And even him, he was very apologetic towards Freemasonry in general saying, Oh, you know, we were just trying to help the community. It's kind of like a big fraternity. It was, it's like a worldwide fraternity is kind of how he explained it. Right. But, but what's interesting with, with even I, I did a little poking. I was like, Hey, look, you know, I've read these things. Yeah. I, you know, who knows if it's true, it's, it's all secondhand stuff. What did you experience, you know? And he would say, ah, you know, there's some weird rituals and weird, strange things going on. But he was saying that a majority of the times when he would go to the meetings, it would just be really boring, you know? Uh-huh. And I, I can imagine if they're doing some kind of paganistic, you know, mystic ritual, it's not going to be the most exciting thing. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's You're sitting there and right. someone's reading off a piece of paper or something and, they tell everybody to close their eyes or look at, look at the ceiling. And I mean, I don't think when you're in it, you're sitting there going, Oh my goodness, this is, you know, the most evil thing in the world. It's more of like, wow, this is really boring. You know, I wish we can just go on with doing other stuff. Right. Well, didn't he even say, didn't you guys have a conversation about the satanic quote unquote aspect of Freemasonry? Or did I make that up? Um, I think you made that up. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> he, he, he did come in contact with folks that were really powerful because he was being recruited to be a 33 degree Freemason. So right. they wanted him to do all this stuff, all this service. He even made a video, which he said he was going to let me borrow and check out. And he's like, there's nothing sinister about it, you know, trying to kind of play it off right. or whatever. Right. But he basically made a video of how the Freemasons are, stewards of the community and and something along those lines where he was playing it on loop. Uh, they had a booth at some kind of local fair or something. And I mean, I mean very, you know, seemingly very innocent stuff, but in the process of being recruited to, uh, being that 33rd degree Freemason. And I, I, I don't think every 33rd degree Freemason is a privy to all the information in general. Right. Well, because the Illuminati is a brotherhood within the brotherhood. Right, exactly. So once you're in, then they start, you know, I'm sure they start kind of fizzling out who actually gets to be part of. And and I think when it gets down to it, it's very selective in that, you know, you have to have bloodlines and whatnot that jive with the whole agenda. But anyway, uh, he was basically telling me that there are people that he ran into that were very deep into Freemasonry, top level, high level guys that were extremely arrogant to the point where it made him feel uncomfortable right? Uh, because he was saying that they felt like they were so powerful that if they wanted an economic crisis in China done, if they wanted some kind of natural disaster to hit India done, like the amount of power they held and arrogance really was the word that he was using. Right. He said was astounding, blew him away. Uh, they told him about some of the technology they have, which basically he was describing smart dust to, uh, to my, to, to my friend here that knew or right. that was a Freemason saying that they can sprinkle dust from, you know, airborne planes or whatnot. And basically they would get caught in your skin and they can track you and whatnot. I mean, that's, that's smart dust. That's what it is. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think this was late 1990s. That wow. was, so this is, you know, this, this wasn't like a couple of years ago. This was a good decade and a half ago. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, cause that, that smart dust was just recently declassified. Right. Um, as being used in the hunt for Obama, uh, not Obama, oh God. <laughs> Osama a few years back. Oh, well, maybe, maybe, well, <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, yeah. So again, 
even the people that are in this, the circles of Freemasonry don't know really what's going on. And it's not their fault. I guess the dangerous thing with having a show like ours, Basil, is that people are going to say, oh, you guys are just, you know, calling everybody who's a Freemason is a Satan worshiper. Right. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying the deception runs deep. It's layers upon layers of deception. Not that we know it all. We, we don't know it all, obviously. We don't know where right. it begins and where it ends. But we do know that what is being promoted within the circles is not exactly what it seems to be. So. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into this list. Steps towards a new world order as written out by Alice Bailey. There is nine steps and we're, we're going to go through each one, see how it's been implemented or if it has or hasn't been, or, uh, you know, see if we can't see, uh, or figure out if it's actually been part of culture since it was penned, which I believe, boy, we should have this information ready. Uh, I believe it was the 1920s or thirties when this was penned. Right. Uh, yeah, that's something we probably should have ready, but we don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, but. yeah, and I think one and two are the are the most relevant, in, especially in the context of the coming uh, 2012 Olympics, which I think is getting a lot of attention right now for its uh, possibilities regarding uh, the switch over to a new world order. You know, some sort of false, false flag terror or pandemic or what have you, alien. Uh, unveiling or something of this nature. Um, it's funny. I just the other day I was with my friend and I turned over and I said, "Just so it's on record, I think something crazy is going to happen this year at the Olympics. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I just want it to be on record. So when it happens, <laughs> you will know. You will that, know that we knew that. We, and then they'll point the finger at us and be like, Wait. "Yeah, exactly. I thought it was us. Well, yeah. Okay. So let's get into the list, I guess." Okay, so number one, the new world order must meet the immediate need and not be an attempt to satisfy some distant idealistic vision. Boom. Yes. Yeah, so this one I thought, I mean, just right off the bat hit me very hard because the fact that it, it number one, the new world order must meet the immediate need and not an attempt to satisfy some distant idealistic vision. So it just right there, it shows that it's going to, you know, it needs to come through some sort of um, catastrophe or something like that. Right. Some need that is so great and that needs to be met immediately that the new world order would come about as the only solution to that need. And I mean, we've seen it happens happened many times before in history where that's how things come about yeah. you know yeah um huge changes in government or you know social systems or anything like that always come through just you know a time a, of chaos a time of chaos and that's sort of where this uh you know quote unquote order can be brought by um, bringing in this radical new system. I mean, it was how it was with the Nazis. It's, I mean, that's how it's been with, um, you know, the Patriot Act and 9-11 and everything like that. It's just how the world works. So I think it's very interesting that step one has been, you know, we see it happen, happen time and time again in even recent, recent history. Yeah, and it's interesting also that uh, biblically speaking, it talks about how Satan knows his time is short. And there's this kind of like, okay, let's get it going. Let's get it moving. This, this, uh, I wouldn't say panic, but more of, um, 
urgency. Urgency. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. To create this thing. And what's funny is before she creates the list, she, she kind of gives this uh, caveat type thing where she goes, well, you know, in, in, in throughout history, people have had all sorts of ideas and utopian dreams, but none of them are tangible. But here's a list of things that we can do. And, you know, what's funny is that first thing is, uh, yeah. you know, your it's utopia not some... is impossible. <laughs> Let me tell you about my utopia. <laughs> exactly. The idealistic is, vision. Right. Uh, but playing off what you said about how it has to come through some kind of crisis. Number two states the new world order must be appropriate to a world which has passed through a destructive crisis and to a humanity which is badly shattered by the experience. Yeah. I mean, just right there. As step number two to bringing about the, the new world order, just, you know, it doesn't scream cynicism, but it's, it is. It's a very cynical way of, you know, if, if you have this thing that you want to bring about and you know that the only way to do it is through a disaster <laughs> so destructive that humanity is badly shattered by the experience, humanity is shattered by the experience. You know, it just shows such a, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost under the skin of the, of the whole, you know, goodness of bringing about the new world order, you know, just the fact that it needs to be born of fire. Right. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to, I believe what is going on now with the Middle East and the Holy War and trying to create wars in general uh, because obviously religious war is probably going to be a very big proponent in bringing about a new world order just because it's going to cause destruction. It's going to cause all sorts of chaos. If we go into World War III, it's it's going to cause people to say enough is enough with religion, war, all that stuff. We need something different. And um, I would say another world war would be a, you know, a destructive crisis. <laughs> Right. That, that is well, going to cause humanity to be so badly shattered by the experience that they, they're going to all desire something new, something different to come right. save them. Well, okay. And here's something else. Um, I don't know if I showed this to you, Ghani, but the, um, well, let me start off with putting in the context of the 2012 London Olympics. And we, in the, in past episodes, we've talked about the Illuminati card game, which portrays a scene to be represented, um, representative of, uh, uh, you know, Big Ben falling and the, the Olympic colors, um, running right. away from this disaster. Right. And, 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 you know, there's a huge amount of, um, buzz right now about some sort of false flag thing or, you know, an alien visitation or even a pandemic starting at the 2012 Olympics. But, on the subject of a world war stemming from that, um, there's this new commercial from China going around the internet, and I haven't had the time to check its validity or really look into it that much, but we'll try to post it in the show notes. But basically, there's this commercial airing in China, and it takes place at the London Olympics um, during a soccer game. And it's a soccer game between China and some, you know, some other country. I don't think it's specified. And this, I, and it's sort of done in sort of an anime type uh, animation style where it's very intense. And um, suddenly, during the soccer game, 
suddenly the strangest thing starts happening where a war breaks out in London during the soccer game. I mean, there's bombs going off, there's tanks rolling around, there's, uh, you know, squadrons of men with machine guns fighting each other, and this soccer game is still going on. And then, you know, even stranger things start happening where, you know, the Chinese soccer players sort of transform or are sort of aided by spiritual entities, one of them being sort of like a lion. And this lion, this spiritual lion figure is not quite possessing, but um, sort of aiding the soccer player in the uh, battle, in the soccer game. And this sort of little demonesque, or not little, large demonesque bird spiritual being is sort of helping out the enemy soccer player. And so there's this huge war going on outside of the stadium. And I'm talking bombs, airplanes, tanks. The, I'm pretty sure it shows Big Ben crumbling as well. And so all this is happening during the soccer game. The soccer game itself is sort of portrayed as this sort of spiritual battle. And um, during the whole thing, there's this guy like singing some epic song in Chinese. And it's just the most bizarre thing to watch. And allegedly this commercial is being aired in China. And so it's got a lot of people nervous, I think would be the right word to use, thinking that, you know, China is trying to send a message or something that, you know, a, a world war is going to stem or they have plans for starting, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, you, at that point, it's all up for speculation. But the commercial is just so eerie. You know, it's very it's funny at first because they're like, oh, my gosh, this is a. Uh, you know, this is so reminiscent of uh, they, they would have this playing in there. It's so, you know, trying to scare the rest of the world and being afraid of their soccer Nationalism team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, then you watch it and you're, like, and you're like, holy crap, why, why are those tanks blowing up Big Ben? Why, <laughs> wait, why are there men in black jumpsuits with machine guns like breaking into the stadium while this soccer game is I'm so confused right now and it's sort of making me nervous you know what I mean it's kind of that situation and we'll try to find it and we'll post it in the show notes but it's just bizarre and I've actually heard about the commercial also I haven't seen it myself um right but uh, yeah that, that can serve as propaganda for sure definitely right and it's, yeah, so it's just very interesting, and especially in the context of everything else. Um, but anyways, we can move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is really interesting, actually. Now I'm curious to watch it. Uh, yeah, yeah. The crisis, human crisis. Uh, well, the, the po one last point I wanted to make off number two, and we'll, it'll kind of tie into number three, is that the real New World Order is not going to going to be something that is forced upon the people. Right. It's going to be something the people desire. And that's the right. same thing with the mark of the beast. It's not going to be, you know, a, a gun to your forehead saying, if you don't take the mark, you are dead. It's more like, why wouldn't you take the mark? You know, right. like, are you crazy? You're, you must be nuts to not want to be part of this new global peace. And so number three kind of ties into that. The new world order must lay the foundation for a future world order, which will be possible only after a time of recovery, of reconstruction, and of rebuilding. Mm. 
And right. part of that, I believe, is going to be the destruction of what appears to be the Illuminati or the global elite. I believe there's going to be something that is going to cause the world to believe that the actual quote unquote, what we believe is kind of like the new world order or the Illuminists or whatever you want to call them. There's going to be something that appears to be that they are defeated, that they have lost Mm. control or lost power of the influence they have upon humanity. And that's going to be part of the recovery, reconstruction, rebuilding. Uh, That's, you know, it's kind of a gut feeling, but I know guys like David Wilcock uh, just recently in the last few months have come out and said, Oh, you know, all these Illuminists are getting arrested by the national something or, and you know, he's saying that he's getting it from a source, but in the past I've seen that he, you know, I think he was misled and there are some plants that went in there and gave him some information that wasn't necessarily right. right. I, I heard about all this. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that that's kind of a, either a test run or set up to kind of what he, yeah. he hopes for is like this defeating of the Illuminati. Same with David Icke. He's out there saying, we have to find ourselves. We must defeat this order and da, da, da. And same with Alex Jones and all these guys. They're kind of almost playing into it. You know, right. it's almost playing into that plan, which is right. very interesting. It's a, it's an angle that people don't discuss uh, very often. Yeah, well, and I think it's a it's a natural it's a natural thing to try to want to go defeat them. I think it's a lot more complicated than getting them arrested and thing. That's that's what sort of makes me sort of hesitant about the whole thing. And I, I know we've talked about it before that, you know, trying to slay an invincible dragon is just sort of a right. you know. So, I mean, that that remains to be seen, I think, whether the <laughs> if it's even possible for Illuminists to uh, be taken to justice by any system that's already in place. Because they um, run the system. <laughs> right, precisely. And, and even if they are, I believe it could even, it could just be, you know, just an act. A play. Right. Another scene in the play. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're talking about conspiracies, I mean, what better way than to make people believe that a bad guy is lost? (laughs) Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, other than um, they've taken a good page right out of uh, Satan's book there, which is, you know, the greatest thing to do is to convince your enemies that you don't exist. Right. And they've done a great job of convincing uh, a lot of people that they do not exist. Right. Um, So... And actually anyway. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were saying we, the, the conversation was like, it started off as like a political conversation of like, Oh, you know, this guy came out, he was bashing Obamacare and he was bashing the liberals and all this stuff. And, you know, I said, well, you know, I, I think the whole Democrat Republican thing is a little bit less about two ideologies that are so completely opposite in America, but just, you know, two sides of the same coin, you know, it's kind of like a, a distraction as I think the views I use, a major distraction for the American people to believe that they really have influence in this, in these different parties and stuff. Right. And so he, you know, he, he kind of pressed on and he was like, well, then, you know, what's the agenda who really runs the world and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't think, I mean, I can tell you who I believe it is at the very top. And this person wasn't a Christian or believer. He was actually an atheist. So, uh, you can imagine the, uh, 
just the fireworks going off there in the conversation. But, uh, you know, I essentially told him, from my worldview, I believe Satan is actually the one who runs the system, and he uses deception to make his, you know, plan come to fruition. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, give me names. Give me names of people. And I said, well, I mean, there's a lot of speculation out there with people like the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, you know, those are yeah. really big names. And, and Bilderbergers. Bilderbergers. Yeah, so there's all these names out there. And, you know... And he turns around and he goes, well, see, you don't know. You don't even know. This yeah. It's just all speculation. You know, you don't know yeah. that. And right. so it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you exactly who, but that would defeat the purpose of there being somebody that's behind the scenes pulling the strings if people knew about it or right. people knew exactly who it was. Uh, right. In other words. Well, and I mean, and there's people like Alex Jones and such who do their own sort of, uh, I don't know, investigation or badgering or whatever, who, who have a nice list of people who they have, um, as belonging to certain groups. Um, yeah. And even then, even then those guys aren't necessarily the ones running it. I mean, they're probably yeah, right, the, right. the gears, you know, that are actually making the things happen, uh, exactly. to externalize these ideas, but they, they aren't the ones coming up with it. Right. Um, right. So anyway, let's, let's move on. Number four, and it gets, it gets a little bit more utopian as we go along here. Uh, number four, the new world order will be founded on the recognition that all men are equal in origin and goal, but that all are at differing stages of evolutionary development, that personal integrity, intelligence, vision, and experience, plus a marked goodwill should indicate leadership. The domination <laughs> of the proletariat over the aristocracy the bourgeoisie, as in Russia, or the domination of an entrenched aristocracy over the proletariat and middle classes, as has been until lately uh, the case in Great Britain, must disappear. The control of labor by capital or the control of capital by labor, labor must also go. Right. So, okay. Yes. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Basically, just talking about how government systems are, have been so corrupt and wrong uh, as of late and people who have integrity and intelligence and vision and experience and goodwill should be in charge which are all things that make sense yeah you most know? people would probably agree with that <laughs> so in this way I, I almost see it less of a exclusive big plan uh, type thing in that, um, yes, that would be very nice if all of those things were not happening. And that does sound very utopian at the same time. Um, well, the, ir the irony here is it's, it's kind of like that self-defeating thing. Uh, I think the law of non-contradiction, which it's not exactly that, but sort of along those lines where you're, not, you're saying everyone is equal, everyone must be da-da-da, but she's actually pointing it out saying everyone has to be equal. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, but what about you saying that everyone has to be equal? Aren't you enforcing your view upon the world? If I don't know, I might be getting a little too philosophical here, but I agree with you that most people on the surface would read this and go, Oh yeah, totally. You know, we, we, there's so much corruption. There's so much alleged evil happening in our governments and the way our political uh, status and, and just the hierarchy is set up that that needs to be destroyed. And yeah, on the surface, right. it's very easy to point that out. Right. Well, she talks about, she, she sort of gets a little poetic and paradoxical in here. She says the dominion of the proletariat over the aristocracy and the burgundy. Well, 
I mean, that's talking about the proletariat being sort of a working class or a lower class. Right. Um, the dominion of the proletariat over the aristocracy or the bureaucracy. Okay, so the lower class. Is that kind of like a democracy? Well, this is saying like the dominion, uh, like the uh, the lower class being in charge and ruling, yeah, the aristocracy or bureaucracy is sort of a, a you know, a utopian democracy, right. not sort of the democracy that actually exists right, in right. America well, yeah. or anything like that. Even though but, that's yeah, not the idea, The idea of the masses... Um, sort of appointing the leadership. Right. But then it goes on to say, or the dominion of the aristocracy over the proletariat and middle classes. Right. So both of these democracy and, or uh, I don't know, whatever patriarchal society or, uh, you know, even communism could fit on the on that one, on the second one, the dominion of the entrenched aristocracy over the proletariat right. must disappear. So it talks about, I mean, any, any way that we have seen uh, governments or, you know, social construction exist must disappear. And the control of the labor capital or the control of the capital over the labor also must go. So she's talking about nobody being in charge of anybody. Right. Basically. Well, that's what, that's why I thought it was ironic that she's actually pointing this out because yeah. she's essentially saying that I'm above all you guys. Well, Dejwa Kul, the spiritual entity, the ascended master who is so wise and, right. uh, you know, he's the one that's giving this information. So it's, I, I, for this to actually take place, there has to be a third party involved. In other words, right. there has to be something like a, you know, I don't know, an alien con uh, disclosure well, or some, some exactly. kind of third party to come in and say, hey, guys, you guys have been doing this all wrong. Let me show you how it's done type thing. Right. And that's exactly what it's getting at, is that there there must be a third party that is outside of the current social construction. Right, right. It's it's like so, uh, I've, I've heard this analogy. I think it was Stan Deo that talked about it, but. Uh, you know, if you have a couple brothers or sisters playing in the bedroom and, you know, your dad says, you know, through the door, hey, if you guys don't be quiet, I'm going to come in there with my belt. You know, and they continue right. doing it. As soon as the dad actually walks in with the belt, two kids are, you know, the kids that were fighting are all of a sudden best friends. You know, right. That's right. the kind of idea here. Right. Exactly. All right. Let's jump to number five. Number five. In the new world order, the governing body in any nation should be composed of those who work for the greatest good of the greatest number and who at the same time offer opportunity to all seeing to it. The individual is left free today. The men of vision are achieving recognition, thus making possible a right choice of leaders. It was not possible until this century. And she's obviously she's writing this in the uh, 19th century. So, right. I mean, this is, this is another one of those ones that's, I mean, it seems fairly straightforward. It just saying that the uh, the you know the government should work for the greatest good of the greatest number of people without taking away the rights of um, those who you know are in the minorities. It says today the men of vision are achieving recognition, thus making possible a right choice of leaders. So what she's saying here is the men who are going to make this happen are obvious today. These men are achieving the recognition right now. Right. And so this is making the choice of leaders possible. And uh, I sort of see this as 
Um, I mean, if we're looking at a steps towards creating a new world order, it sort of seems like she is trying to hint at, you know, creating a power structure right now. Right. You know, with the men that are alive at the time of uh, doing this. So this has been the case for, you know, for centuries, which is it's because the, uh, the new world order sort of has the, the mindset of, you know, even though we're not, we might not see it in our lifetime, this is what our life goal is. You know, people have been working towards this with complete knowledge that they'll never see it. Referring to especially the forefathers of uh, America, the United States, you know, where they went through just excruciating amount of energy and detail to create this this new Atlantis, basically, yeah. that um, they were not going to see the benefits of. And so I see that as she's uh, talking about the men of vision in her day when she's writing this um, to put them in leadership so we can keep working towards this because it wasn't possible until now. Yeah. And, and she has calls these, this group of uh, goodwill, I guess the world leaders of goodwill or so I can't remember the exact phrase she uses, but essentially it's, um, Oh, the world servers. That is, I think what she calls it. Right. For goodwill. And um, again, it's kind of like the, it's building the throne almost, you know, again, from the biblical perspective of, of the hierarchy and, it's it's so interesting because the you look at the seal right of of America, and you have that pyramid, and you have you know the eye, the all seeing eye, and the cap is the cornerstone, you know, right. and then there's like the thirteen, capstone, yeah. yeah, the capstone, yeah, and the thirteen um, steps of the the rest of the pyramid. There, it's almost like building, building, building that structure. Yeah, and it's also establishing bloodlines. Yeah, you know, because the whole leadership of the thing is going to be brought about through bloodlines. That's a, it's a very common um, thing. I mean, you can work your way up as, as high as you want, but you're not really going to be let into the inner circle unless you're of the correct bloodline, right. which it, which, you know, which keeps the inner circle from invaders. I mean, if you really think about it, if one of us, if we really wanted to infiltrate the, uh, the establishment of, you know, whatever it may be, the Illuminati or, or um, what have you, what would we do? We'd, you know, get somebody young to start working their way up and spend their whole lives becoming a 33 degree Freemason. Right. And so now they're in, they're in and we can take it down from the inside. Well, they thought about this already. And this was, I'm sure they uh, learned by experience or something, but even if you work your butt off your entire life, unless you are of the correct bloodline, you're not going to um, truly make it into what's what we consider the inner circle. The inner circle, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 keep going on. Number six, the new world order will be founded on an active sense of responsibility. The rule will be, the rule, which is interesting, all for one and one for all. This attitude among nations will have to be developed. It is not yet present. Right. I think that's pretty straightforward. Very straightforward. I think, again, it's, it's the same idea. This view of, and I always go back to like my philosophical senses when I hear stuff like this or read stuff like this, because to suggest that there's a rule, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. it's supposed to be something that is, you know, in the previous couple steps, it was like, you know, everyone's free. Everyone has, 
they're they're all part of being treated fairly. There's no overbearing government or leader trying to, or at least within humanity, you know, everyone has to work together. This kind of idea, this again, it's a kind of a utopian idea, but then she proposes a rule, you know, all for one, one for all. So if you actually are not part of it, if you think actually, no, I don't know if I want to be part of this thing, you're breaking the rule. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there will be severe consequences to any nation or, or any, I mean, as we've already seen, yeah. um, if nations don't want to play by, you know, for instance, America's rules, yeah. Yeah. they pay the consequences. Absolutely. You know, if, if you're not, if a country is not working for the national interests of America, they do pay the price. Right. No, that's, that's um, very true. That's, that's exactly and, how and, things have gone in the in the world stage of, you know, military action in other countries and things like that. Right. And that's going to be the case when she's, when this uh, thing comes up, comes along and we'll see in the next few steps, she stresses nations, you know, still holding their quote unquote sovereignty and things like that. But again, if they're not obeying the rule, then there's going to be a price to pay. It's sort of like, and I brought this up last time. I, I just finished reading, uh, rereading, 1984 and in 1984 if you're a part of the party there are no laws per se right there's you're not necessarily restricted from um anything and and you know in in their case things like uh um you know sex for fun or um all sorts of you know what we would what people would consider uh free will type things or, you know, not, not liking the party party being the political party or, or, um, you know, even owning things like paper and pens and, and writing things that aren't for the, uh, furthering of the political party. Anyways, these things are not unlawful per se, but if you do take part in any of these things, they're, you're going to die. They're going to kill you. Right. You know what I mean? It's sort of that same thing. Just because there are no quote unquote laws or rules doesn't mean that there's not a, uh, a punishment for them. Right. And that's sort of how I see this. It's, hey, we're all going to be quote unquote ha- helping each other out all for one and one for all. But if you don't. Right. This attitude among nations will have to be developed. Yeah. It is not yet present. Exactly. You know what I mean? You don't want to cooperate this, with us? Well, we're going to come in there with guns and make we you. We'll have to develop this um, <laughs> this attitude for you. <laughs> Boy. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Number seven. And there's nine steps, so a couple more here. The New World Order will not impose a uniform type of government, a synthetic religion, and a system of standardization upon the nations. The sovereign rights of each nation will be recognized and its peculiar genius, individual trends, and racial qualities will be permitted full expression. In one particular, only should there be an attempt to produce unity, and that will be in the field of education. Right. And this is funny. I find this to be, um, it's almost paradoxical. It's for, I feel like if you read it on the, on the outside, and it sounds great because there's this big concern about losing, um, you know, national identity, ethnic history, things like this. And we talked about this, I think, yeah, very, in the, have, very yeah. in the beginning of the show. But here's the thing. 
what would destroy all of that? And what, what has been destroying ethnic identity and identity? Yeah. Yeah. It's been the unification of education. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Education rules um, the minds of the populace. Right. So if you are producing unity in the education all around the world, you are creating a one world culture. You, you see what I mean here? Yep. The education becomes the foundation to instill the culture or right. it becomes the culture. It becomes the culture. Right. I mean, uh, in education and, you know, I'm not saying I know the plans for wh- whoever's going to be doing the unifying of this education, but that's part of the continuation of cultures is the educational uniqueness of that culture right. that, that keeps it going. And so, you know, like I was saying, a lot of these steps and parts of these steps sound wonderful. You know, she talks about how each nation will be, quote unquote, sovereign, and they all have their particular genius and individual trends and racial qualities will be permitted full expression, except that we're going to control all of the education. Right. You know what I mean? So it's almost like if you're just reading it and to, you know, a normal person not looking into it um, really or seeing it for what it really is. It sounds wonderful. And of course, we're going to buy into this whole thing. All right. And education is kind of the, it's so broad. It's not just, you know, it doesn't say right. science it doesn't, or mathematics or, you know, it's not right. specific. It's, it's just education, the field of education. Right. So, I mean. Well, that, and that could be anything. That could be religious education. That could be cultural education like we've been talking about. It could even be the conditioning of, uh, of social norms. Conditioning yeah. of behaviors. It's yeah, all, absolutely. It, it's all part of it. It kind of reminds me of the movie Gattaca. Have you seen that movie? I think we've I brought it. I think we've brought it up before. I'll, I think I have the DVD. I'll let you borrow it. But thanks. <laughs> I'm letting you borrow a lot of stuff. It's the Canary Canary Cry uh, movie club. Movie club. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm sure some people have seen Gattaca. It's basically set in the future where you know everyone's genetically engineered designer babies basically and the main character of the film was not born in a test tube basically he was a natural birth but anyway everybody there was educated in a specific way like everybody had just because also they were born into this culture and society they had this like level of education where there's like this room where everybody's on computers and all this stuff and that's just kind of what it reminds me of you know everyone's going to have the same education which means everyone's going to have Part of education, though, in my opinion, is supposed to be at least. In in essence, what you do when you go to school is you're supposed to learn how to think, right? You're supposed to learn how to, you know, think critically or or to analyze and reason. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's where you get your skills of logic. Right, exactly. So so if, if it's shaped in a certain way and it's controlled your entire view of how you're going to think about the world is going to be shaped. And therefore, oh, absolutely. They're controlling the worldview. Yeah. And here's an, well, here's another thing. It says there should only be an, uh, the only attempt to produce unity will be education. Right. Essentially. So it doesn't say that everybody's education is the same. Right. It just means that the development of, you know, an educational system 
will be geared towards, uh, you know, whatever they think unity is. Right. And it is sort of like Gattaca or even Brave New World. Brave New World, yep. Same where thing, everybody, yeah. depending on their cast or their um, particular role, get whatever amount of education that they need right. in order to work for the system or the machine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, and that's the thing. If you're controlling education, you are literally controlling the minds of um, of the people. And that was a whole nother thing. And Well, even look at like Nazi Germany, same thing, right? I mean, they right. controlled the education system and, you know, indoctrinated a bunch of people to accept the uh, Nazi regime. But anyway, right, let's exactly. move on. Um, okay. Number eight, the New World Order will recognize that the produce of the world... The natural resources of the planet and its riches belong to no one nation, right. but should be shared by all. There will be no nations under the category haves and others under the opposite category. They could have just said have-nots. I know. A fair and properly organized distribution of the wheat, the oil, and the mineral wealth of the world will be developed based upon the needs of each nation, upon its own internal resources, and the requirements of its people. All this will be worked out in relation to the whole. Right. Hmm. Now, this, yeah, okay. It, again, is this one of the things that just sounds so great? It sounds like, you know, some sort of utopia where whatever we have is just split up between everybody. And again, I'm not against everybody having what they need. That is not what we're against here. What I am against is using um, a utopian idea to sort of bring about um, something that is not so. For instance, I mean, this is basically socialism. This is um, socialism, I was going to say. Right, yeah. right. And, 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 and for the most part, pure socialism has not worked in the world. And the reason is because they're talking about how, you know, there are no haves or have-nots. Well, okay, a fair and properly organized distribution of the wheat, oil, and minerals, wealth of the world will be developed based upon the needs of each nation. Who defines the needs? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you have um, some third world country and then you have a first world country, all right, the third world country obviously has needs yep. and they, the problem is establishing what the answer is to those needs. It creates a, a tyranny almost where deciding what those people need. You know. Yeah, because, okay, so think about it this way. Like, this is like a perfect example. If you, you know, uh, let's see, when there's a divorce of like celebrities, you know, some of the money gets split or whatever based on the uh, lifestyle or uh, the level of con consuming the person does. So like, exactly. yeah, so, so like, let's say the wife or whatever has been living on you know, I don't know, 10 grand a week or something, something ridiculous, right? Well, once the divorce is finalized or whatever, to be fair to split off, you know, the guy, the rich guy or whatever is going to have to pay whatever is going to supplement um, her, her lifestyle. Her lifestyle. So, yeah, it would be based on the lifestyle, it, people would get what they're used to. So if we compare that, let's say with like Africa, let's let's pick, you know, like Uganda or something with California, the needs exactly. <laughs> like, like we need, like, okay, let's say the, the, the people in Uganda need what they need clean water. They need food, like basic food. 
Right. They need shelter and clothing. I mean, like the bare minimums and they would be stoked, right? That's exactly the point. Yeah. Yeah. In California, it's, you know, obviously a little different. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. This, this, uh, step eight, this is, it makes it sound like everybody in the world would be brought up to the same living standard. Right. That's what it sounds like it's, it, it wants to do, you know, on the surface level is, you know, people in Africa living the same relative lifestyle as people in California. All right. And that's great. You know, I want everybody to, to do, to have a great life, the, the best life that they possibly can. But the problem with that is that won't be how it is. You know, people looking at Africa and then people looking at California, well, they'll look at Africa and they'll say, all right, well, they need clean water. They need, you know, a hut and they need some, some running water and they need electricity. Yep. Right. And the history of socialism says that they will get the bare minimum of that. Right. You know, without taking away from the, from the, the richer populace. That's the thing. Cause the richer populace aren't going to want to lose what they have already. Right. You know, as selfish as that is, I, I'm sorry to say, but that will never happen. They will never reduce Californians to living in, um, you know, less than what they're used to in order to bring up the less fortunate Africans. Yeah. And so what you have here is it's almost just false promises because for instance, the people in charge are going to be the Californians or they're going to yeah. be the, the New Yorkans or they're going to be, you know, those types of people. So I'm not saying that this is a bad idea. I'm not saying that number eight is, um, you know, I don't want everybody to, you know, have what they need. Right. What I'm saying is number eight is a lie. And it's the same lie that has brought about socialism in other times in history and in other places that just simply has not worked. Yeah. It just simply won't work just for the mere fact that human, the human condition won't allow it to work. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the bottom line. And if you, if you've ever seen zeitgeist moving forward, which is, I mean, it was, you know, obviously the guy who made zeitgeist, Peter Joseph made that movie and it's, it's a big hit it came out, I think a year ago or so. Uh, millions of views all over the world. And essentially the movie promotes this, this right here, number eight, where everybody gets what they need. You know, they don't, uh, there's no preference. There's no, um, there's no such thing as like, I, I have, I like steak. So I want steak. There's no, you know, that none of that stuff exists right. anymore. It's right. everyone gets their needs. And you know, the idea that's proposed is that through people getting what they need, uh, everyone's going to be happy. And, right. uh, it's again, like you said, the bottom line, the, the human condition doesn't allow that. There's always going to be people that want more that will do something to want more, you know, right. th that will do whatever it takes, kill, you know, murder, whatever it is to, to, to gain what they want, their selfish desires. And, you know, it, I think it well, also points out the incredible hypocrisy of just in general with humanity. You know, because right. we're sitting here, we, again, we would love to see everybody have what they need in life, you know, but then it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to just like, okay, well, I'm going to not pay rent and I don't know, just the way our lives have established, you know, where we are. I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with well, that. Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's going to be, 
Um, and then who's doing the deciding? Well, the people doing the deciding are obviously going to have a lot more. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it's just, there's always a ruling class that will, that isn't um, subject to its own rules. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind you know? of. And it's, it's always happened in socialism. It's there's, it always becomes instead of a lower middle high class, it's a high class. And then everybody else, um, it, it's everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, again, I, I really don't want people to think that we're not for, you know, <laughs> helping out the poor. I know. Or I know. wanting everybody to be um, on the same level because that would be great. Yeah. Um, but socialism is not the way to do it. Um, it, it honestly is through charity and the love of Christ and the, you know, things like that, that, yeah. that I think, you know, if, if it, if people, more people would buy into that sort of thing. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think helping others in general is just something we should just do. Um, and, and under, again, like you said, the love of Christ and, and what we're told we're supposed to do as Christians being salt and light into the world, that's right. just part of the fabric of who we're supposed to be. Right. Uh, not because we want some kind of uh, political system to be in place, not because, uh, you know, it, putting yourself aside, that self-sacrificial element is, I think, the key to Christianity in general. Uh, right. And and that kind of that characteristic, taking on that characteristic, just automatically gives us the the desire to help others. Exactly. Um, not not for any particular reason or for any self uh, gratification or uh, self gain. Right. And that's one thing that drives me crazy is, um, you know, true Christianity, true, true, the following of Jesus Christ. You know, you have people talking about how Christianity is why there is so much, um, you know, poverty yeah. in the world and why there's so much separation um, in classes and how the Christians are the ones who, you know, put us against them and things like that. And number one, sadly, there are a lot of cases where that is true. Right. But secondly, if truly, you know, everybody started living by a Christ-centered um, worldview and a Christ-centered, uh, you know, philosophy, uh, philosophy, yeah. honestly, all of these problems, you know, if you ask me, would go away. The very basis oh, yeah. I, of a Christ-centered um, lifestyle is helping everyone out and putting everyone before yourself. Yeah. And, and, I, and I've, so, I've, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the antithesis of that is being um, preached by New Agers and you know atheists and things and right. you know things like that. Right, and I've I've often said you know the the very simple teaching of Jesus of like turn the other cheek, you know. Right. Um, if everyone turned the other cheek, there would be nobody left to actually slap the cheek. You know what I mean? Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> and it would actually exactly create this. This, uh, this idealistic world that everyone strives for in general. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's the difference. I mean, they, it's almost as if Alice Bailey here has the same sort of motivation as Jesus Christ, right. which is, you know, everybody be nice to each other Yeah, is, is the basis of it. You know, but Alice Bailey's version is based on power. Right. It's based on a governing force exercising power over... Um, the people of the world, you know, the method of Jesus Christ was guys, let's just do it. Let's just be nice. Well, yeah. what's the problem with just being nice to each other? And then they go ahead and nail them to a tree. Right. 
you know. Yeah, no, it's true, and it's it's the complete uh, flipping of the pyramid structure. You know, with most uh, political systems or agendas, even if there is some kind of equal distribution of goods and whatnot, there's always, like you said, there's kind of like a group that that holds the key or holds kind of everybody else hostage. Right. And the the entire account of Christ and what Jesus did was he came and he flipped that thing upside down. You exactly. Know, I mean, he Jesus was God, okay? God could have come in and said, you know, like, thunder and lightning storm to the, you know, I am God, and, like, you must obey me because I am God. He could have totally right. done that, but he didn't. He actually became a baby, a human, right. and even suffered death. So it's this complete twisting of that view. And, right. and I'm personally, I am very happy that God is like that and not, you know, some kind of dictator. Uh, well, exactly. Which is often the portrayal that people paint of G- yeah. of God in general or it's Christian really God. Um, so, right. Well, and see, that's exactly the thing. The God comes through and says, you know, we all need to be nice to each other, f- just because that's the way things need to be for us to work. Yeah. But then Satan comes in and says, "I'm going to exercise power over you," and you know. To give us the results of, you know, if we are all being nice to each other, which, you know, absolutely doesn't work because good begets good and and evil begets evil and and greed begets greed and, you know, all that sort of thing. Well, I mean, Satan's really clever because he's like, oh, peace. Is that what you guys want? You guys want to get along? Oh, okay. Well, you guys can get along as long as you do it like this. If you do it my way. If you do it my way, you guys will definitely get along, you know. So anyway, uh, let's finish up. Number nine, uh, in the preparatory period of the new world order, there will be a steady and regulated disarmament. It will not be optional. There's that iron rod again. Uh, No nation will be permitted to produce and, and organize any equipment for destructive purposes or to infringe the security of any other nation. One of the first tasks of any future peace conference will be to regulate this matter and gradually see to the disarming of the nations. Yeah. This one is just so terrible. I'm not (laughs) terrible. This one is just so obvious. Okay. So, uh, and and to be, again, (laughs) I'm not for, you know, arming everybody and putting guns in the in the hands of babies that's not what i'm for here what i am against here is number nine doesn't even mention the practice that is going to happen to make this to to make this become a reality (laughs) all right if you're asking everybody to put down their guns and just simply asking them and say most of them do it but what's going to happen to the one who doesn't Right. Well, number one, if everybody has already put down their guns and one guy still has his, he's going to be the one who, you know, takes over. But, of course, in order to keep that from happening, there's going to be a ruling class, a ruling government that's going to be the one with the most guns and the most everything. You know, it's just putting power into a single, putting the gun into a single man's arms, you know. Um, put down the gun or we're going to have to shoot you. Yeah. Put down the gun or I wish everybody put down your guns or I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> See, you know what I mean? So this, it, it, the key to all of these, um, steps that we disagree with is the means to right. which it comes to this end. 
yeah. I guess that could be what you know what you could take away from this. Number nine, you know, the disarming of the entire world. Sure, it sounds great. Sounds great, but it's not going to happen unless there's something like the UN who will be holding all the guns, and then all that does is you know make one big bully instead of you know a, a bunch of other kids on the playground who can defend themselves. Right. Well, I think all of this, again, points to a lot of the biblical prophetic uh, things that were said. It sets it up for an external person or persons, most likely a person, the world teacher, Maitreya, the Christ. And it really just makes some of the things written in the Bible just jump out. Uh, Matthew 24, 5, where Jesus strictly just says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. I mean, that's just way straightforward. It's like people are right. going to come and say they're the Christ and they're going to deceive people. Right. Oh. Well, that's the funny thing about it is, you know, there's been a lot of people who have come and said that they're Jesus and right. they usually get some sort of a little cult following and they all end up killing themselves. Right. Right. But that's a very small picture. It's like a microcosm of what is exactly. supposed to happen to the whole earth. And people say, look, Jesus said it. That's what's happening. And I say, yes, but... That's not exactly what he was talking about. When Jesus says he will deceive many, he doesn't mean, you know, a hundred, you know, right. uh, hillbillies out in the, in the boons, you know, wrong, he means nations. He will deceive nations in the name of this uh, false Christ. Yeah. And, in, and if we go on Matthew 24 for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Boom. So, I mean, even people that are like, good-meaning, well-meaning Christian people or, you know, whoever, they're also going to be deceived by this because, uh, and, and I mean, this is part of part of something that I'm sort of passionate about is seeing this possibility, I suppose, uh, of not, and it, it's really difficult to talk about with people because it almost puts you, makes you seem like you're, you know, like some kind of know-it-all or like above you, the other person. And it's really not, but it, it comes off as that. In, in, which is why it's really hard to talk about, but it says that it might deceive the elect. And I mean, that would mean that people that thought they were cool with Jesus and everything and, and all that, they would buy into this whole thing. Right. And, you know, a lot of churches are into the whole, you know, going green or it, it, that whole idea of, you know, playing into this whole thing. And again, it's not necessarily bad on the surface, but I don't know. It's just, ah, it gives me all twisted up because it's, I know it's, the deception is so deep that it's it, it makes me question almost everything which i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing but yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's very it could be stressful if it, it is kind of stressful but at the same time i know it kind of works out in the end so um and then a couple more scriptures here uh first thessalonians 5 3 uh for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape so uh, you know, I, we, I think we've mentioned it before, but people are going to be saying peace, peace. And that's when the Antichrist is going to go from charismatic leader, uh, world savior to world destroyer, basically. Right. Or, or the, the tyranny comes out. The tyranny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, well, hopefully it gave some of you guys some things to chew on, to think about. Um, if you haven't right. heard this material before, um, I would imagine most people that listen to this show 
uh, know at least a little bit about Alice Bailey. Yeah, and if not, we'll, we'll post the uh, material. Take a look at it. She's definitely got a, a huge influence over much of uh, what the enemy is doing in the world right now. So make sure to read up. And yeah, uh, her, along with many other the esoteric writers, are the ones who are influencing the leaders of the world right now. So it is important to you know, keep a finger on the pulse of where the leaders are getting their information. Yeah. And again, this, this plays right into what I tried to portray, at least in the movie age of deceit was that at the top, Satan runs things. He has his fallen angels influencing people like Alice Bailey, in my opinion, to write these things that are going to influence society and culture and government, political, ecumenical, all this stuff. Again, it just verifies a lot of what the Bible says. Uh, so don't neglect that part of it too. And, and right. read the stuff knowing that there is a, a higher power that ultimately defeats this stuff. So it's nothing to be afraid of um, right. because uh, people tend to get afraid and, and, you know, even scared of what might come down. And I don't think we're supposed to be afraid. We're, we're talking about this stuff to expose it as Ephesians 5.11 says, um, uh, and not so much to be afraid of it. So. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in again, guys, to uh, Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and uh, all those nice things. Um, we are uh, going to be doing more updates and things like that. Anything else, Gons? I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. <laughs>